Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back for episode 299 as we break down everything that happened over the last week through the weekend across SmackDown and Raw. Plenty of fallout from WrestleMania Backlash, the latest WWE premium live event to discuss, as well as some possibly major breaking news in the world of WWE. All of that together lends to another jam-packed edition of your favorite source of professional wrestling audio. But I would be remiss, folks, if I began any episode of Getting Over without reminding you that this podcast for 299 episodes and beyond. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. All of you are getting overheads. You need to go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leaving a five-star rating on Apple also leaving a review to tell people why you have been listening to this show. I mean, probably most of you have not been listening for all 299 episodes, given our growth over the last couple of years. But as many episodes as you have listened, please tell people why. Why do you listen? Why do you subscribe? Uh, All of those ratings and reviews, they mean so much to us personally, but they also help the show continue to grow. And every single time we get a five-star review, we read it live right here on the show. Also important is for you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet about wrestling all week long, funny stuff, news, live tweets during the major shows. We also tweet out polls and we provide you with live shows before pay-per-views on Twitter spaces completely free of charge, just like this podcast for 299 episodes and going on as well from now forward is completely free of charge. Please, please, please. Do not forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. As I said, we do have an absolutely jam-packed show for you today, so allow me to welcome vintage Chris Vanini into the show. Chris, I thought surrounding Backlash, we got a pretty, uh, let's call it interesting week of WWE television. I didn't think either show on its own was necessarily great. And Raw did fall off a cliff over the final half hour, really hour three as a whole. But this was an example of a week where I enjoyed most of the individual parts of the episodes. There was a stretch on Raw that pissed me off where over five matches, we had two disqualifications, two squashes, and one match that never even started. And normally I would rant about that, but I'm going to be ranting about other things on this show because the circumstances of those booking decisions mostly made sense. And I got a tweet coming in from Sean M. Riley, who said, I don't like to give too much credit, but this has been a near perfect two plus hours of Raw. He tweeted this or or he uh, DM'd this to me about, I'd say 10, 15 Eastern. Uh, He said, so for a night after a premium live event that blew away expectations, they're giving us good TV as well. I wouldn't call the show perfect, as I kind of just explained, but I did find it hard to find too much fault with what was done over the first two and and a half hours of that show. We're going to break all of that down in the good, the bad, and the ugly coming up later. But Chris, the best way I could probably say is that even though things 
I didn't love happened, they weren't necessarily bad or ugly. Most segments were either good or unoffensively fine. But it was telling to me that when we talk about the show falling off the cliff Monday, if you just look at the first half hour and the last half hour of the show, it's like I was watching completely different products. The first half hour, we had four people engaged for 30 minutes in a talking segment and a match. And in the final half hour, we had 13 people engaged in five different segments, all of which were rushed. So I was wondering if you kind of had the same perspective on TV this week, especially Raw on Monday night, or perhaps if you just had a different attitude entirely. I think the show is not the sum of the parts. And I think we mostly are okay with those parts. I, I think most feuds, storylines going on, they they make sense. There's not much of anything going on that is terrible. But there's also not a ton going on that's like really, really great. And we'll get into the main event scene in a bit. But it doesn't all it's not all fitting together. Like you said, you got a you had a bunch of DQ no finishes in a row there on Raw. It's like it, it felt like everything was kind of mashed together and it didn't really all fit. But individually, it's not like I hated anything either. So so it, it's kind of been the way, I think, for a few months, really, with WWE programming. I, I think that there's been situations where WWE's hit and we've talked about Raw being the far better show week to week than SmackDown as of late. What's just so strange to me and you know, it's been further confirmed by another return that we got Monday night is they just keep adding names to this Raw roster and making it stronger and making me more interested in watching that particular show based on who is on it. And yeah, sure, they did add Gunther, who I love, and Raquel, now Rodriguez, who I love, to SmackDown. But there's just no real motivation to watch that show other than Roman Reigns. He's the only reason, really, that SmackDown is a show that you need to watch. Yes. Otherwise, you could kind of say, you know what? Everything else that happens on there doesn't really matter. Like the Intercontinental Champion doesn't have any challengers. The new SmackDown Women's Champion doesn't seem to really have any challengers. Um, the Tag Team Championships, we're going to talk about that in a moment. They may be one title across two brands. It, because they hold reins out only for SmackDown... The, they, I guess they feel like their roster can be super weak and it won't really matter. And maybe that's going to explain some of my criticisms I'm about to give WWE. But that yeah. is a really strange and, and objectively poor way to go about building what is your A show. It is your biggest program that is on broadcast television. And it just doesn't seem like they're putting effort into making it must watch, which is wild when they are putting effort, doing the best they possibly can without a champion in particular, to making Raw a show that you want to tune into every single week. Right. It's pretty much been one or the other has been a good show and the other has been kind of unwatchable. For a long period of time, that was SmackDown, especially when they had Roman and Daniel Bryan. Uh, yeah. Raw, it is notable that Raw is quite watchable without Roman Reigns, without a world champion. It's crazy. I know. That, yeah. that, that is a credit to the depth they are building. But again, you get the first show coming off of a pay-per-view and your world champion who pinned the guy in the main event and is supposed to be on both brands is not on the show. Like and it, 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 instead, it's hyped for 
go watch SmackDown. That, that's about all they have on SmackDown is, hey, Roman Reigns will be here. And for a month, he wasn't even there. Right, exactly. And and it's one thing if like the roster was weighted. So the strength of the roster, the best talent in the company, let's say, was 60% on Raw and 40% on SmackDown. That would make sense because Raw is a longer show. It has more time to fill. And it doesn't have Roman Reigns. So that would make sense for WWE to make that decision. But it's like 70-30. In fact, it might be 75-25 at this point when you really break it down and think about people who move merchandise, who elicit cheers from the crowd. They're almost all, not all, but almost all of them are on Raw right now and they keep adding to it. So as someone who prefers watching wrestling on Monday night and prefers Raw to SmackDown in terms of the creative, what we're getting right now, it's a positive for me. But unfortunately, I also have to watch SmackDown on Friday. And most WWE fans do watch both shows because they're both the main roster and there is crossover between them. And of course, every premium live event has SmackDown and Raw matches on it. So I just, I don't fully understand the decision making. And Chris, we're going to move into the main event momentarily. But there's a potentially pretty major news story going on with WWE And when you take that into consideration, it makes the uneven rosters even more of a glaring hole for WWE. And makes the decision making of the past couple months uh, questionable as as well. But that's what comes with unifying titles. That's what which they appear to probably going to keep going back to with with the tag titles. So. Very, um, very we, we prognosticated yeah. all of this. I mean, we, we put this out there as potential issues months yes. upon months ago yes. when they, yes. when, when they changed the booking of Roman Reigns, it all started at day one. When Roman Reigns missed day one, everything regarding him and the world championships changed from a WWE booking philosophy and almost every decision they've made has been worse than what it likely would have been. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good way to put it. So Brian I don't know Kobe. that they've made a single good booking decision about the world championships in the company since January. Sorry, since in yeah. in the year 2022. Yeah. And I, I think we, you know, we're, 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 we're not in a lockdown. We're not in the Thunderdome anymore, but you can blame COVID for that probably. Well, for Reigns, certainly, yeah, you know, missing day one and throwing things right. into chaos. But WWE didn't have to scrap its plans and just completely throw shit yeah. against the wall because... He missed one show. You can work around that. Yes. And we'll see. We will. Okay. So I think you know where this show is going. Uh, Let us begin by sliding into the main event. We will move on to good, bad, and ugly and talk about everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw in our second segment of the show. But as I said, we start as we always do, as we have for every WWE show of the 299 episodes of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast that we have taped, we begin with the main event. Now, as you can probably tell, this main event is all going to be about Roman Reigns and the bloodline. And really, you know, that's what WWE is all about these days because the guy has both world championships. We do have a number of different things to tackle on our way to getting to that part of the conversation. Uh, As I said, potentially some huge news involving Reigns. So let us work our way through it sequentially. We'll go SmackDown, then we'll go Raw, and then ultimately we will talk about this news. And we have to talk about SmackDown first because Shinsuke Nakamura seemed to get injected somehow back into this storyline. 
Nakamura was backstage. He said he has not forgotten what the bloodline did to Rick Boogs. And then him, a few weeks ago, he promised that sometime soon he would get a piece of Roman Reigns. Sami Zayn was hiding and listening to Nakamura in the background, just like he did to Drew McIntyre a couple of weeks ago. Sammy then basically did a tattletale. He went over to Paul Heyman. He said, this is what Shinsuke had to say about the tribal chief. And he offered to personally hand it, handle it for Reigns and Heyman if Heyman promised to tell Reigns that he was doing that for him. Zayn then asked Adam Pierce to fight Nakamura next week, but Pierce instead said, hey, you know what? Let's just do it tonight. Why wait? So we got Nakamura versus Zayn. Shinsuke hit a sliding powerbomb. Then he ate a rough looking Mishinoku driver. Zayn escaped an armbar with a pinning attempt. Then he dipped out of the ring to avoid Kinshasa, but Nakamura hit a similar move outside. They battled around the announce table for a bit until Sammy hit a haluva kick on Nakamura into the barricade and ran back into the ring to beat the the count and win via countout in nine minutes. So the storyline and match, Chris, go hand in hand here. So I want to just break it down overall. I'm not going to give WWE full credit just yet for remembering the Nakamura story. However, there was a report before Backlash that the six-man tag team main event, the bloodline against RK-Bro and McIntyre, was always the plan to main event that show. It was not a change from the unified tag team title match to that. So perhaps it was also the plan to tease Nakamura as an upcoming opponent and then return to him being that opponent after Backlash. That would have allowed McIntyre to get saved for a bigger pay-per-view, his match against Reigns, and not waste his title match either at Backlash or Hell in a Cell. If that's what actually goes down, then I'm going to happily retract my prior criticism from them forgetting about Nakamura, but all of that is still to be determined. We have to see what happens Friday on SmackDown. If we do give WWE the benefit of the doubt there, we must look at the match result, which had the guy who may be the number one contender lose for no reason whatsoever. Now, maybe that's WWE trying to stretch a mini feud through Backlash for a rematch, but given what Zayn asked Pierce, he could have lost to Nakamura and still gotten a rematch because he wasn't prepared. So that would have given Nakamura, theoretically, two wins over Sammy instead of one and built him up even stronger as a number one contender. So I was just extremely mixed on this booking. The Nakamura and Zayn stuff backstage, the match itself, both of those were very solid. They made sense. But the booking decision, if Nakamura is actually going to be the number one contender, was a very, very strange decision. Yeah, I don't... I don't know if I buy all of it. Maybe the six man was always going to be the, the plan and Nakamura was going to be in it because otherwise none of that made sense. It, it, it would make sense as to why Roman wasn't advancing a feud and then you throw him into the six man because other cause we kept saying, where the heck is Roman? Why is he not feuding with Nakamura? I, I don't know. Either way, Nakamura versus Sami Zayn was good. I, I, I am really enjoying Sami Zayn conversations with Paul Heyman and looking to get favorable treatment by being a tattletale. I think it's an, it's an interesting uh, direction for his character and fits what he's been doing. So, so, so that was good. Um, yeah, I, 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 I guess this makes sense. I mean, we were all excited when Nakamura came out, you know, that day to challenge reigns. It didn't go anywhere. I'm glad they've come back to it. And, and the crowd popped for him again on Friday. It, it did. It did. So maybe it's another one-off. This is what you, this is what you want to see. You want to see fresh matchups. They don't need to be three-month feuds every time. Give me Nakamura, uh, Give me Roman and Nakamura in a one-off. 
we enjoyed Roman Cesaro in a one-off. Yep, that's like, exactly you, what you, I was you, just thinking. You, yep. you can do things like that, and we'll get into it if it's just something different. We know Nakamura is not going to win, but it's a matchup we haven't seen. Give us something fresh. A, a problem WWE has is that it's like only the people feuding with each other can fight each other, and that lasts months and months at a time. So uh, I'm intrigued by by this direction, and if we get Roman Nakamura, which I hope we do, I think that's I think that'll be fun. Yeah, whether it's Nakamura Zayn interim, whether it's, you know, Nakamura Reigns at Hell in a Cell, um, you know, I, I think holding off Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, that's the goal. That needs mm-hmm. to be the goal of the entire thing. So as long as they're doing that, I'm happy. If they run Reigns and McIntyre at Hell in a Cell and Reigns just beats him, then they're throwing away an A-level match at a B-level pay-per-view. That's That's a main event for a stadium show. And if they throw that away at Hell in a Cell, I'm going to be extremely disappointed in them doing that, even if it is a situation where Reigns cheats to win and therefore McIntyre deserves a rematch. That first match should be at a huge show. You want people buying tickets to see your top babyface against your top most dominant heel star of the company. So my hope upon hopes is that what I just laid out there is actually what WWE is doing. But Chris, as I said, I don't want to give them credit for doing it when they haven't done it yet. Correct. Um, I, yeah, I mean, McIntyre Roman, I, I, in December, I thought that was going to be the main event of WrestleMania. That, that is obviously something you want to hold on to. So I get doing that. It's, it's been a weird path, but Roman Reigns is back on TV and he's kind of feuding with somebody and it's individually. And it's, uh, literally been a while since that happened. Yeah. And, you know, look, we're, it's early May, almost mid May that we're doing this. SummerSlam end of July is actually not that far off. So you could figure out a way to do Reigns McIntyre at SummerSlam or at the least, the very least, considering Money in the Bank is really one of their four biggest shows these days, Money in the Bank, the beginning of July. We're not far from that. So there's really no reason at this point not to hold Drew McIntyre for one of those major shows. And Nakamura is the perfect person to give Reigns a one-off title feud for Hell in a Cell. It really does work out perfectly if they do that. But a little bit of a tease here. We're not done yet. We're not there yet. We got some major news potentially regarding Roman Reigns that throws that entire concept into chaos. Chris, let's move to the second half here uh, and talk about what everything that happened on Raw regarding the bloodline. So we got a Raw Tag Team Championship match, RK Bro against the Street Profits. This opened Raw with a uh, you know confrontation type of segment. Randy Orton promised to win the war with the bloodline. Orton said they still want to unify the titles. Riddle said they would demand the match from Reigns himself Friday on SmackDown. And if he doesn't accept, then he doesn't believe in his cousins, the Usos. The Prophets came out and said, not so fast. Plus, we want the smoke. So Riddle came back with RK Bro 420, says we just smoked your ass. Uh, That got a huge pop, by the way from everyone in the ring, the fans, everyone. But it probably should have been saved for a post-match because it's something, he's saying that they already did it when they haven't done it yet. So that was weird. But great Rob Van Dam throwback. Very, very cool. Uh, Montez Ford in the match hit a super impressive Tope Cannonball outside. Orton got the hot tag and hit his signatures. Riddle blind tagged and went for the springboard floating bro outside, but instead nailed Orton. He ate the anointment and a frog splash from Ford, but Orton broke the fall very late. Ford went for a second frog splash when Riddle popped up for an insane RKO out of nowhere to pin Montez clean and retain the titles in 10 minutes. 
Cameras showed Orton standing outside of the ring, mouth <laughs> agape at Riddle's RKO. Couldn't believe what he just saw. And I said this on Twitter. I'm going to say it again. Riddle now has two of the 10 best RKOs ever, which is crazy when Randy Orton's been doing the freaking thing for 20 years at this point. Riddle has two of the 10 best ever. This was an awesome match, an awesome finish. Um, the segment took the first 25 minutes of the show and for only 10 minutes of that to be wrestling to me was disappointing because for the profits to basically get taken out of the tag team title picture, if they're going to unify the titles, they just lost to one half of the champions at this point. They should have gotten far more time to get themselves over despite the loss. I went 3.5 stars and a B for the match. But Chris, what the part that really bothered me, and you can address any part of this you want in a second. The part that really bothered me was WWE going back to the tag team championship unification storyline. My hope was that they would forget about it after the backlash six man tag. But no, it seems like we're headed for it anyway, even though it doesn't make a shred of sense at all for SmackDown, for Raw, for the teams. It doesn't make any sense to unify these titles. First off, going back to the promo real quick, it's wild hearing Randy Orton drop a catchphrase for a big pop. Like it's just it's just where he's at now. I don't know if he's ever done this. The the, the you know the the three most dangerous letters in all of Oh yeah, he always yeah. got pops on that. It, it, it this one just this, this one just seemed bigger. It, it was just like Randy Orton has I don't think Randy Orton has ever been this big of a babyface before. And and it, it, it's it's mm. it's fun to watch. Um question Th- this was a this was a tag team title match, right? It was. When did we find that out? Did they announce it at some point? Did they I, say it at the beginning of the show? Because I, I think didn't. They, they did announce it one hundred percent at the start of the show. Yes, because I didn't catch it until the prophets mentioned it. In which case, why are Riddle and Randy Orton? Either way, why are Riddle and Orton talking about the Usos? Talking about unifying? They've got a so. Dad Let me explain that. Match right now. Yeah. Oh, so that that I can actually explain just like, you know, if I'm doing WWE's job and explaining it to yeah. you, like I can I can do that. So you have to remember the the Street Profits inserted themselves into this entire storyline uh, before the tag team title unification match was going to happen. And basically what was decided at that time in kayfabe and storyline was they would do the unification and the and the Street Profits would be the number one contenders. They would get the first title shot. So because the unification didn't happen, the Street Profits got the title shot with Orton and Riddle. Don't forget, the Profits beat Orton and Riddle. Um, or was it Montez Ford beat Orton? Somehow Orton got pinned. Like a month ago, it was a yeah. it looked like a screw up in the match. It was supposed to be the finish. It just wasn't done well. So they are legitimately, they were legitimately the number one contenders. So they did deserve the match. And I believe they said that, that they would defend the unified tag team titles against the Profits on the Raw after Backlash. Because the titles weren't unified, they only defended the Raw titles. So all of that, to me, was completely <laughs> legitimate. It was just they kind of ruined the number three tag team in the company Yes, as the challenger kind of unnecessarily when they're now apparently about to unify the titles again. Like, why not do Alpha Academy here? Or or just like not they, have a match. Or, or just not have a match or not have a telemate. It was just, yeah, it was weird. and 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 so I was like, well, okay, opening the show, they're talking about unifying the titles. I know who's winning this match. And, you know, it was it was fine. It was short. The RKO was incredible. I think that might be a top five RKO of all time. 
uh, all things considered. They did swerve me. I'm going to say, like, okay, we knew RK Bro was winning the match. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. But they legitimately swerved me. When he hit the floating bro into Orton and immediately took the anointment and the frog splash, I was like, holy shit, they're going to change the titles. That's how they're going to get out of the unification storyline. They didn't, but they swerved me. I I I thought in that moment, the titles were changed. It was just, it was so confusing because, like I mentioned, these two teams have fought each other so many times in so many ways over the past month, trading wins, singles matches. You forget who deserves what. They're just having matches. And I was just like, oh, it's a title match. I forgot why this is happening. It was weird. Oh, the Profits lose. Okay. So they're out of the picture. And we're still going toward the unification. I don't love this overall, even if I enjoyed the segment. Right. Like the match was good. As I said, it was too short, but no matter what, the story of what they're actually doing is annoying. Now, look, they could head over to Raw. Reigns could deny them, um, say, we're focused on family. We don't care about your titles. Like it's possible that they still don't do it. But the way that Riddle called out Reigns, I mean, I can't really imagine them not pulling the trigger and actually going with the tag team title unification. Right. No, I did. They, they, they've said it too many times to not do it. They're right. doing it at some point here. So the most appalling thing to me Monday night, and this will lead into our larger conversation that really is the point of this main event, was Roman Reigns being absent from Raw. Remember, folks, it was WWE's decision to unify the titles, not mine, not Chris's and not any of yours. If you are going to do that as a company, Your champion needs to be appearing on both shows regularly, maybe not every week on Raw if he's a SmackDown superstar, but especially right after a pay-per-view, because why the hell would you, if you're WWE, make your fans wait five or six days to see this guy? How is it that with the loaded Raw roster, there is no one really other than Cody Rhodes who actually has their sights set on the championship? You could say Seth Rollins also. But Cody Rhodes is really the one who said, I'm going after the WWE Championship. From a general standpoint, Chris, and we're going to get into the specifics in a moment, the way they are handling this just continues to irk me and bother me. And given it looks like they are going to unify the tag team championships also, I only see this frustration continuing to mount because if the Usos are SmackDown superstars, why are you going to have them go to Raw if you're not having Roman Reigns go to Raw? I know they have. I know the Usos have been coming to Raw recently for this feud over the last month, but with that roster so freaking thin over there, it just does not make a shred of sense to unify a title, the world title, let alone two sets of titles. I don't get it. We didn't get it when it was, I don't know, December, January, when we first started talking about unification in any kind. I I like the brand split. I like having the extra titles. It's necessary. when the... Especially when the roster was so big, having fewer, if if you're not going to have Roman Reigns on every show, then why'd you unify it? That was the whole point. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like it'd be different if Roman was here every week, feuding with multiple people, doing that kinds of stuff. Like, even the Brock stuff didn't happen every week on every show. It was typically once a week. So it's like, what... What's what's the point of this? What is the benefit to anybody? If you're gonna if you're gonna do that and not have your world champion on your show, you gotta really elevate everything else. The United States title, the Intercontinental title, they need to be the biggest things. If it's not, if you're not gonna have the champion on there, now they are kind of doing that with the Raw Tag Team Champions. So credit there. But like, 
the the U.S. title, the IC title, these things mean nothing right now. And, and having Cody fight Theory helped in theory to start, but yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of meaningless stuff going on right now. It would have helped if he won, or if Kevin Owens had yes. that title, or if yes. Seth Rollins had that title, or, or any other main eventer on the yes. show. They yeah. have a guy who's. Uh, he's not even an upper mid Carter. Theory is a straight mid Carter. And again, yes. there's nothing wrong with him being U.S. champion if there was a world title on the show that people were going after. But right now you have, like, think about this. On one show, Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, Edge, and you could even throw in Damian Priest, and there's probably someone I'm forgetting, but all of those people not going after a world championship. Yep. That is mind-numbing to me. It just... Imagine it, and imagine if you did. Imagine... And, and Bobby Lashley. There's another one. And Bobby Lashley. Former world champion. Imagine if there was a title up there that many of these guys could be into. I'd be really into that, but we just don't have it. And if one of them was United States champion, I could at least buy that. Like if Lashley was the yes. U.S. champion and he's fighting against all these baby faces and eventually Styles beats him or Balor beats him. Great, now we're moving. And then you have a Balor and Edge feud and then Edge wins it and Cody beats Edge for it. Now the United States Championship is a huge championship on this show. But right now you have Theory with the championship who refuses to fight Mustafa Ali, fights Cody Rhodes. I, you know, We'll talk about it later. Cody getting that match. I was okay with it because look, the guy did beat Seth Rollins twice. He's deserving of a U.S. championship match. You can't really argue that. But, you know, fighting Cody basically was going to lose to Cody. Um, and he, there's nothing happening. There's no major, you know, feud happening right now for this guy. Again, other than Mustafa Ali. Speaking of people who they recently returned to the company, by the way, I mentioned Asuka and Alexa Bliss. Mustafa Ali was the other one I forgot. All yes. three of those people brought over to Raw. So this just goes to continue to show like every decision WWE has made with the world championship in 2022, starting with January 1st, 2022, all the way on to now, almost every decision has been the wrong one. Yes. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's wild to me. Now, Chris, I say all of that to transition us into the actual main event of this show, which is a report, multiple reports actually, that have come out since the conclusion of Raw Monday night that Roman Reigns is no longer being advertised for WWE television or house shows from the end of June until Labor Day. He is still being advertised for Money in the Bank and SummerSlam, but not TV or house shows during that time. Dave Meltzer has apparently reported on his radio show that Reigns will soon be taking 10 weeks off and there's no explanation as to why that's happening. That sounds to me, and I'm purely speculating here, that sounds to me like a movie shooting schedule. But I digress from that. If this reporting is accurate, if any of this is more than just supposing, right? Like people extrapolating advertising into being booking. And we don't know the details here. So it's very tough to speak to this intelligently. But we have to take it at face value at this point because this would be major news. It would be unfathomable to me for a variety of reasons. First, that Reigns would take and WWE would give Reigns time off during what is easily the biggest stretch of shows that I think WWE has ever put on. 
four straight stadium shows. If he was to leave after Hell in a Cell or a couple of weeks after that and is legitimately gone for 10 weeks, he would miss Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, and Clash at the Castle. This huge UK show that they're trying to sell out. I mean, they're going to sell it out, but well, their yeah. top star theoretically wouldn't be at that show. To, to be fair, I, 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 I've seen, I, from what I'd read, he's still listed, uh, according to Meltzer, he's still listed as a featured superstar for Money in the Bank and for SummerSlam. He is. I said that a moment ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right, but right. I'm just so saying. at it, the show. But, but just because he's advertised for it and they're selling tickets for it, hey, WWE card subject to change, doesn't mean he's going to be there. I'm taking at face value the report that he's going to be gone for 10 weeks because, Chris, if he's gone for 10 weeks, how does he have shows or how does he have matches at those two shows without ever being on television, unless it's him via satellite. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I'm taking it at face value is what I'm saying, okay? Mm -hmm. Forget for a moment. Let's forget that he's the freaking undisputed champion. Right. This is WWE's top star by leaps and bounds. He is the crossover guy in WWE right now. And a 10-week break is not something that would have come as a surprise to WWE. No. It would be a known quantity, something they probably knew well before WrestleMania. Which means, now let's go back to him being undisputed champion. It is possible they went through with unifying the titles, despite the objections of so many, despite that not being the prior booking before day one, knowing that they would either have to take the championships off of him on a B show like Hell in a Cell, or maybe do a hot shot cash in at Money in the Bank if he does appear at that show before having him leave or potentially having him relinquish the championships, or simply not having any world championships defended on three consecutive stadium shows if he is indeed not on those shows. All of those options are unfathomable to me, given the length of this reign, how strong his character has been built. The most reasonable of those would be a Money in the Bank cash-in, but while that would be very exciting in the moment, don't get me wrong, it would completely blow the impact of Reigns finally losing and putting someone else over strong clean in a one-on-one championship match. That would be, I mean, it wouldn't be a disaster because it would still be a big moment, but it would be like a protection of Reigns that is completely unnecessary given how strong he has been built. The only other explanation is that Reigns basically disappears from TV up until maybe the go-home weeks and wrestles the stadium shows, but hardly appears elsewhere. This is getting to your point. And he maybe just shows up via satellite if he is at a movie on set or something like that. The whole thing to, to me, Chris, doesn't make sense. If Roman Reigns is not on TV for the majority of the next three to four months, it will have made every decision that we've already said is terrible up to this point just unfathomably worse in that they should have I assume they knew this was coming and how do you, how have you not had plans in place to nail this ending? WrestleMania was the place we thought you, you could do it. Like I said earlier, I thought somebody like Drew, before he got hurt, Big E uh, or, or Drew McIntyre being the person to take the title off of range, just the one title, not the unified title. And that, and that would be a good way to, to end it. Cause you know, very quickly, they knew that they nailed this Roman Reigns thing, even back in the Thunderdome. It was great. And so from that point on, you have to know and have a plan 
on how this thing is going to end. Like, like, like the whole point of heating up a villain is to transfer that to a babyface at some point. That's how it works. And Drew McIntyre or Cody Rhodes could be the people to do that. But if Roman's not going to be on TV in the weeks leading up to potentially one of these matches, um, it really diminishes what it is. And this goes back to what we already said, which is Roman's already not on every show, which means we don't have a world champion once a week, which is ridiculous on its own face. So I don't understand unifying the titles. I don't understand having Roman be the guy to do that. If you were going to go into this monumental summer of shows with him potentially, or probably if he knew, not there week to week. I just, I don't get it at all from a storytelling standpoint. That's exactly right. And I'm not going to just keep repeating myself or have you keep repeating yourself because, you know, people are just going to get annoyed by that. But it really goes back to like the unification was unnecessary. We've said it. We said it the second it was announced and we've maintained that throughout this entire time. But, you know, the whole point of a dominant title reign for a heel champion like Roman Reigns, uh, it, it's to serve two purposes. One, to get that person over as a massive star. They have succeeded in every way getting Roman Reigns over with the fans, with, you know, crossover people, um, whether that's movie studios or the media, whatever the case. You look at the guy when he appears on Jimmy Fallon now compared to the way he used to appear on Jimmy Fallon, it's night and day. The guy is now a true, by definition, superstar. They have succeeded in their booking of Roman Reigns. But wrestling is not just a book, is not just about booking that one person. It's about what comes next. What is the end goal? What is the result of that extremely strong period of creative? And the end result of that should be getting either a new or an established a baby face that needs that, you know, boost over the moon massively. A great example, of course, is what AEW did with Hangman Adam Page. Now, you could argue that this guy was super over before he won the title, and he's really just as over with the title as he was. But the whole journey of Hangman Page, it was the chase. The chase, the inability for him to win, all of the obstacles he faced, and then finally overcoming this dominant champion in Kenny Omega, who, don't get me wrong, Nowhere near as dominant as Roman Reigns from a kayfabe standpoint, but finally getting over this guy who was a faction mate, a stable mate of his, someone he was close with. You know the whole Hangman Page story. For WWE, they haven't given us that storyline with an individual person. We thought at first it was going to be Big E. They had the opportunity to do the Bloodline New Day storyline. They chose not to pull the trigger on that. That's their decision. Big E got the championship anyway. That title reign, because... It was done kind of haphazardly. It didn't really work out. And of course, unfortunately, now Big E is injured. Hopefully, when he comes back, he gets an opportunity like this. With him gone, the other two people where it made most sense to kind of put them into that position now are Drew McIntyre, who has been WWE's number one babyface largely since the start of the pandemic, when he, don't forget, won the championship off of Brock Lesnar in what was going to be the main event of a huge WrestleMania in a stadium. This guy was going to get anointed as the guy, and he did have a very solid championship reign and did a great job as the face of the company, but has since fallen off. Or Cody Rhodes, who has now come back to WWE with a ton of press, a ton of fanfare, and has made it a statement that his career goal has been to win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship or whatever they are now calling it. So they have two guys that fit this role where, you know, they're not, they're certainly not people who have 
who are smaller names who they'd be getting over in a major way, like Big E would have been, someone who had never really competed at the main event level. Both of these guys have. But Drew McIntyre, he's been there. He's been waiting in the wings for this opportunity. He's still getting huge reactions. They kind of rebuilt him a little bit already with the Bloodline RK Bro McIntyre feud that they just did at Backlash. He's poised for that opportunity. You have Cody on the other brand. He's mentioned Reigns a bunch of times. Reigns won't even mention his name, right? They're they're not even sniffing each other right now. But if you are not going to give one of those two guys the moment, and the moment should happen at the show, whether that's WrestleMania or SummerSlam, if you're not going to do that, then the entire secondary point of Roman Reigns' championship reign is completely lost. Because again, it's about getting that person over and it's also about getting the next guy over. Yeah, I, I mean, you you, you kind of said it all there, and we've we've talked. I don't want to just keep repeating the same things. It's it's just it's just extremely weird to be in this position. If you know Roman Reigns isn't going to be around very much, um, to then put it all on him, you know, what wh- wh- why why do why why do that if you're going to be in this spot? So, you know, we'll we'll have to see. You know. They are building things outside of the main event picture, but the main event has been so lacking, really including the build up to mania. If it wasn't Brock Roman wasn't every week, you've just got shows and shows and shows that don't have a world champion involved. And I just I don't understand the business sense of that on top of this. So, you know, we'll have to see where it goes. You want to speak about business sense? Just I mean, look, we don't talk really about sports on this podcast that much, but um, (laughs) I just saw this news report since we're taping it live. Right. Tom Brady is getting 10 years, 375 million to talk about football on Fox. Look, I, I look, I want everybody to get their money. 375 I, million. That's 30, 37.5 million dollars a year. There, there is no Thank you way for the math there. <laughs> that's that's there, easy division. Even I can do. <laughs> there is, there is, there is, I want everybody to get money, but there's no way no individual announcer makes that much of a ratings or advertising sales difference to make Tom Brady worth that i mean we've seen it with monday night raw where they can pull guys in and out and we like some we don't like some it ain't making a difference on the ratings for raw an announcer is not making a difference on a football game but look good for tom brady i guess look i love tony romo right like he's my guy and yeah. i have bias there based on my affiliation right from uh from an employment perspective yeah i like him. um and, and he makes a lot of money and i think he should get every single dollar that he can get but like as great as he is, and I, I do think he's the best one out there right now in terms of a color commentary guy doing yeah. NFL, the difference between him and a Troy Aikman, right? And then the difference between Tom Brady, who's never done this before, and a Tony Romo, it cannot be that much. It, you, just, you, it, it doesn't make that watch, sense. That much you, sense. You, don't watch, you don't watch for Tony Romo. You watch for the football. Tony Romo's an addition that we enjoy, but you're not yes. watching for Tony Romo. You're not going to watch a football game or a studio show for Tom Brady. Correct. Um, so it's weird. That is just... Wow. I mean, that is a total shocker. Sorry for everyone who doesn't watch sports for us injecting that. But I just that literally just came across my screen as we're talking here. And I could not believe it. Chris, this is the speechless episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Speechless about Roman Reigns, speechless about Tom Brady. And I'm going to be speechless about another topic that we get to in our next segment here. The good, the bad and the ugly. All right, so we are going to get to that other thing that I'm speechless about in a bit. It is not going to lead this segment, but stay tuned, folks, because 
yeah, I think the Silver King may have a rant uh, coming up. We'll see how long I go on that particular topic. Uh, let's start with that United States Championship, Chris, that we did mention. Theory defending against Cody Rhodes. This was scheduled for 10 p.m. sharp. 30 minutes into the show, Theory got called up for an interview on an elevated stage. It was actually a really cool throwback for me. It rekindled the old 1992 WWE Superstars interview position. I don't think you were watching wrestling then, but I'm sure no. you've seen tons of clips of Mean Gene Okerlund, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and tons of different people on that elevated stage. Very famously, uh, Ted DiBiase kicked the basketball out of the kid's hand with Virgil standing next to him. That was pretty cool, I thought. I loved it. it, it I love it just it's a different background. You can see the fans behind. You can see them reacting, and it's a different angle than if they were in the ring. It made me stay attention, pay attention to it. So that was cool. And on top of that, I also liked, I think the second time they've done this, but they told you what time mm-hmm. the match was. They, yeah. they, they said, they said, Cody's going to wrestle at 10 o'clock Eastern. They did that. I think the first day he came back and I'm curious, I, I don't know what the numbers, I don't know what, 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 what the, the numbers have told them, but I have found that interesting and I've enjoyed it. They did it for 9 p.m. Eastern. I think it was the week he came back or the second week, something like that. And I believe hour two that week was the highest rated hour. So I do think it's kind of interesting that WWE is maybe saying, well, if it worked at nine o'clock, maybe it can work at 10 o'clock as well, because 10 o'clock, of course, is always the lowest rated hour. And that brings down the ratings of the overall show as well. Anyway, Theory basically said, F the past. I care about the future. Later backstage, Rhodes was asked, what's next with Rollins? He said, hopefully nothing, because I'm 2-0 against the guy, and that chapter is closed. This was the first ever, by the way, United States Championship match Cody Rhodes has ever been in, and he said that title would look pretty good around the American Nightmare's waist, and I got to agree with you, I thought the same, or I got to agree with him, I thought the same thing. Uh, There were chants for Cody early, Theory did the Stardust taunt, Rhodes did a disaster kick to the outside, Theory cleared the announce table, but ran back inside the ring when Rhodes got up on him, Cody later hit a rough moonsault. Theory came back with a neckbreaker over the knee. Cody hit a disaster kick and a Cody cutter in succession. But as it seemed like he was going to finish Theory and win the title, Seth Rollins ran in to attack for a very blatant disqualification at 13 minutes. Rollins tackled Cody at ringside, slammed his head into that announce table, and then hit the stomp on the announce table to knock Cody out. That was basically it. I thought it was a solid match, but nothing remarkable. The entire thing was completely predictable. I mean, we say sometimes predictable things are good on this podcast. This was not one of those times where like it being predictable was a good thing. They could have at least found a more creative way to do the DQ than just a blatant run into the middle of the ring and attack the babyface disqualification, which by the way, they did in another segment on the show earlier in the show. And they did something very similar at the end of the show. I strongly considered giving this a bad but there just really wasn't anything offensive. And that's going to be a trend with my grading. I'm just warning everyone throughout this particular episode of the show. If there wasn't anything that was truly offensive to me, I find a hard time giving it a bad or an ugly. So I'm going to say good overall, but it was frustrating. The brutality here basically confirmed Helena Cell is next for this feud, whether we like it or not. Well, and it wasn't even that brutal. I mean, that that's where I'm going to start. Like, like even afterward. A stomp um, onto the table. I mean, it's meant to be. Yeah, but people get put through the tables every other day. I know. Like, like I know. they came back from commercial, I think, or something. And Corey Graves said, like Seth Rollins had crossed the line. Like, you're the heel commentator, first off, <laughs> and second off, right, what right. line? He did he did a wrestling move to him, and that crossed the line. I just they oversold it for what it was. But so they announced this match on Twitter during the day, and I was like, oh, 
that's interesting. I didn't see that coming next. And I was like, all right, is Cody going to do something? Is he just moving on to a new thing before he gets into Roman Reigns? Him as a U.S. champion could be really interesting. What we just said, those mid, those secondary titles do not have a lot going for them. I'm like, there's a lot of possibility here. They do the interview. I, I like that stuff. But when the match starts with the big video package about what happened on Backlash, Yep. I was like, oh, okay, I know what this is going. This this is gonna they're reminding us that Seth Rollins is there. So when Seth Rollins interferes, for anybody who didn't watch the show, we're gonna understand why it happened. And that's what happened. And it was fine. I'm giving it a good, it was again, it was like you said, not offensive. It was fine. They just got me excited for something new, only to give me something not new. And so I'm like, all right, fine. It was fine. Yeah, it was fun. So are you saying what's your grade? Good also? It, it was. It's a good. It, it's a low good. It's very low good. I completely agree. Now, uh, I'm going to go three segments in a row. We'll do th- at least three separate grades here about Judgment Day because they had a really, really big oh segment uh, that took across the first hour. Uh, it was played out across the first hour, I should say. So the Judgment Day made its way to the ring. And if it sounds strange, me saying that, that's because WWE unnecessarily shoved the article the in front of another group name for absolutely no reason whatsoever. <laughs> this one doesn't even make sense. They are a day of judgment. Like just like Undisputed Era, they were an era of Undisputed. Didn't, I think it's you know, fine. I, I, it's not. You, to me, it's kind of interchangeable. It's not it's not like removing a first name. They didn't change the name, whether it's a the, whether it's the Facebook or Facebook. Honestly, I, I don't know. Them not being the think. judgment day, an abstract thing is just it. I'm not I'm not going to think about it more than two seconds. I well, care. again, OK, fine. But this is the two seconds. I said yeah. it and that's yes. it. I want to say it. it. I, honestly, I didn't even realize till you brought it up. Just so as like, with but just as with new like new day is the new day. It, they don't need to be new day is a really good name, period. That's yeah. all you need. They're Whatever. the new day. They're the new day. But they also yell new day like it works interchangeably. It's fine. I won't be using the on this show. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Really brave stand. I know it's a brave stand that I'm taking, folks. I'm doing it for you. I am rallying against the insertion of unnecessary articles in WWE names. Anyway, away from that, uh, Edge got a new haircut that mirrors Rhea Ripley. It was kind of an old new haircut. Uh, he got some cheap heat ranting about the fans and the IWC, saying nothing and no one can touch them. He got a big reaction in this role, I thought, for the first time. Damian Priest said they're capable of destroying everyone all of the fans' favorites, um, and that they added an instrument of brutality, of course, referring to Ripley. She had a scales of justice mark under her eye instead of like the cross that she normally has and claimed she was used by the fans who used to sell the autographs that she signed for them. Then she promised to destroy Liv Morgan. Edge put himself over as the one who was responsible for breaking up the Ripley and Morgan team. He said his movement isn't done because they are looking for more members. And then Liv Morgan did an entrance that interrupted Edge. I said it Sunday night, Chris, but even more than at Backlash, this presentation on Raw for me was easily the best stuff we've gotten from Judgment Day. It got off to a really, really rough start. It seemed like they just did not know the way they were going to present this group, but it has steadily improved. And Monday, I thought they really hit the mark. Ripley looks like a million bucks. And I have never seen someone with hair like her that actually looks like someone poured ink into their hair, <laughs> like tattoo ink. Before coming out, like almost like it was hair gel or something like that. I Plus, mean, I think it was. Edge indicating that they're going to keep growing the group means this is going to be a real faction. They're going to have at least four, maybe yes. more. So That's all in all, top to bottom, this part of the entire segment 
Was it good for me? Presentation, great. I, I when, when they come out, there's there was a there was a screen cap of them going of all, them all standing in individual lights surrounded mm-hmm. by darkness at the top of the stage. Really cool look. Love that. Are we just talking about the promo stuff here? Or are we going on to the live stuff? Because I got just the that. just the promo, just this part of the segment. Okay, I loved Damian Priest here. This was the coolest he'd ever sounded. Like mm-hmm. I want this guy cutting promos every week. That was really. I was like, holy crap! I forgot this guy can do this kind of stuff because he'd been a babyface for so long, doing weird stuff. This is a really, really cool Damian Priest that I am into. However. They they they're still not heading in the direction or, or presenting the direction that I think they should be, which is they shouldn't be pissed off at the fans. They should be pissed off at everybody on the roster and wanting to beat the crap out of them. No, they are. They are. Right, right. The, but the Rhea, point Rhea, is Rhea, the, the edge's point is edge's point, what he keeps saying is that they held this part of themselves back because they wanted to cater to the fans. Because they wanted to make their fans happy. Right, but like, it's, it, it, I don't think they're going to come out and cut promos on the fans every week, obviously. But it was just like, Rhea, rip, like we said coming after Backlash, like, Rhea, why did you do this? Why did you do this? I did it because fans sold my autograph on eBay? Like, what? That, 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 was, not, that was not what I expected. That's not, that's not evil. Like, I, I, I want no. some evil. I, I, like I said, I want them. They're going to keep growing. It's, gonna, it's gotten better. Without a doubt, it can still it continue to get better. This is obviously not the final thing, but I was waiting for like the we're going to destroy the WWE roster. We're going to take everything. We're they said that kind of. But, yeah, he but said like, he goes, we're going to destroy all of your favorite wrestlers. Right. But it was directed. It was directed at the fans, not like it, it was directed at the fans, not at the wrestlers. Like we're coming yeah. for you. It was, hey, fans, we're coming for your favorites because you like them and we're going to beat them up. It, it, as opposed to like, we're going to take what's ours. The, the, that, he said, he said that he goes, I've been here. I haven't won the championship back. Like they've been saying this. So they, I, I'm not saying you're wrong in yeah. this particular promo. It was focused on the fans. But what I'm saying is judgment. Day had established that. Sure. That's but all like, I'm trying to say. So like the first, the, it was like the second time judgment day came out, the two of them that they referenced the bad bunny thing. Mm-hmm. Right, with Damian Priest. I was like, "That's exactly it. That's exactly, exactly. it." But, but you got to start with that. That's got to be the foundation. But they of did. They can't keep saying the same thing every no, week. No, but this but, was but, more. But, this was more an induction of of Ripley. No, than it but was I, right. And I'm saying in Rhea Ripley's case, that's where it should have started, as opposed to agree. Fans, anyway. it, it, it's a little thing, but it was too much. Hey, fans, you know, blah blah blah. And I know it. Look, it's a promo in front of a, a, an arena. That's what you're you're doing. I just, I still think Judgment Day needs to put fear into the roster more the, than get the fans to boo them. One other thing I'll note, I agree. I agree that Ripley should have been way stronger on what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty sure she did note that she took her eye off the ball. She got distracted by supporting other people, referring to Nikki Ash, referring to Liv Morgan. And now she's focused. And even though she thought the fans had her back, they really didn't because selling the shit on eBay, blah, blah, blah. So I felt like she mentioned it, but it was an offhand mention rather than like going into, a, a you know, using that promo time to talk about Nikki being an albatross on her neck, Liv Morgan being an albatross yeah. on her neck, her not going after the Raw Women's Championship because they had her in the tag team division, all that type of stuff. They should have focused more on it, but I do have to just clarify, she did say that. So I don't want to make it look like, like it wasn't mentioned. Sure. It was mentioned, but it wasn't long enough. 
Sure. Okay. That that that's fair. That's fair. Two more parts here involving Judgment Day. Chris, we had Rhea Ripley versus Liv Morgan immediately after this. Judgment Day stayed at ringside, and Edge kept taunting Liv during the match. Morgan did a springing hurricanrana. Ripley caught her in a body triangle, and Liv screamed, I hate you at her. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Morgan came back later with a springing codebreaker for a near fall. Ripley avoided a springboard dropkick, booted Morgan in the face to take advantage, and then put her in the prism trap for the submission in six minutes. After the bell, Edge nodded, and Rhea put the prism trap back in on Morgan to put her in more pain. It was probably better to end this with a submission than a pinfall. Uh, you know, for WWE, they treat pinfalls as usually more important than submissions in terms of like putting someone over or protecting someone. They believe if you tap, it's less of a big deal than if you get pinned. But either way, I'm glad the finish was clean. Look, we all, or most of us at least, love Liv, want her to get pushed, want her to eventually be a champion. But you can't put Rhea in a growing faction and have her lose her first match and you really can't have her fight someone other than Liv Morgan when they're in the middle of a feud, period. So my only disappointment here was actually the length of the match. Let it go eight minutes. What's the harm in putting two more minutes on this match, especially when we saw what came after this over the rest of the show? So because of all that, I went with good. Yeah, certainly a good. Um, I, I kind of understand that the match not being so long because the point is Rhea winning easily. She she has shed this weight that she was carrying, and now she's free to just dominate, and she dominated. So I, I worked, I, in the context of women's matches in general don't go long enough, yes. But in this specific instance, it, it, it made sense for the time. So mm-hmm. I was fine. Definitely good. And real quick, one note before we move on. I don't know if you caught it. Ripley has new music. It played for about five seconds after the bell. And it seemed to be really good rock music with lyrics, like not necessarily a downgrade, but it's tough to say until we obviously hear the entire thing. I just don't see why it was necessary to change it. As long as they do go back at some point to this is my brutality when she's a babyface again, I'll probably be okay with it. That theme is just far too good to get thrown away for, you know, permanently for no good reason. Well, it's the same thing with Edge. I, I mean, exactly. is, you know, if you're this much of a spooky heel, you get a little bit more spooky music. It makes sense. I, right. I didn't it's, actually catch it, though. I'll, I'll listen for it next time, though. It's literally only five seconds, so you can barely yeah. hear it. But you're right. As long as it's replaced with something that's equally as good and the other one is still in the arsenal, I have no problem with it. That's just a general uh, sentiment that I have. Uh, so the third part of this was Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. So after the match, uh, Morgan is in the prism trap the second time. Balor's music hits. He makes a full entrance. Then AJ Styles makes a full entrance and they do two sweet together at the bottom of the ramp. It was strange that they both took their time and didn't rush to the (laughs) ring for a save. Now, Ripley had released Prism Trap, so it's not like they really needed to save Liv anymore. But the whole point in them coming out was to stop Judgment Day, right? Anyway, Styles and Judgment Day remained at ringside for the match. Liv left. Ripley stood in front of Priest as Balor was ready for a tope. And Edge just speared his ass for the disqualification. This is what I was saying earlier. Rollins runs in with Cody. Edge just ran in and speared Balor, really, for no good reason for the disqualification. Styles made the save, beat both of them down. He paused when Rhea turned him around by the shoulder. Edge used that distraction to throw him into the middle turnbuckle and do a really clunky high-low spear with Priest. Priest sweeped the leg. Edge did the spear on top. Normally, I would shit on an unnecessary match with an unnecessary disqualification. 
I personally felt watching this, it was all purposeful to establish Judgment Day's dominance without giving Balor a loss. Like we criticize the Finn Balor booking and I'm going to continue criticizing the Finn Balor booking. But it is worth noting that WWE and all of the times they have him lose or get beaten up, they do it in a way that they consider to be protecting him at every turn. This was very Attitude Era-esque in terms of faction building. They used to do this stuff all the time back then. As long as it doesn't become a habit where this is happening every single week where there's a match, but it just ends in a disqualification because Edge or Priest or Ripley runs in, I'm going to stick with good for now this time because they literally spent 30 minutes of this show on Judgment Day. The first hour of Raw was 30 minutes on the tag team picture with RK Bro and the Street Profits. And then the second 30 minutes was all about establishing Judgment Day. As far as I'm concerned, it worked. I do wish Ripley had hit Styles. That's really the only thing I, I would add to this. Yeah, I really appreciate putting the time in. You get a promo, you get matches, you really truly established the Judgment Day as a force. That's what had been missing. They'd kind of just been off doing their own thing for one segment with some spooky lights. You get, you give them, you really give them a spotlight and you establish them. And this is by far the best they've looked. I think they've gotten better each week, essentially, as they've kind of done this. So, so that is, that is great. Finn and AJ doing their full intros instead of a save was weird. You know, is what it is. We wrote it. I, I didn't know it was a match. Like we didn't, I don't, think they had neither said, of them were neither of them were announced they were matches. not announced matches so so that was it was the same thing with live when live in her in her uh yeah both matches so it was the same thing with live where you're like oh she's coming out to cut a promo back no okay it's a match there's like that awkward moment because they don't tell you everything ahead of time um but as for the the other match honestly like it, it was definitely good definitely giving this an, an all good i i would have been okay with with Balor losing here Frankly, like I, I after Rhea, I like via distraction, idea. via yeah, distraction. Sure, it could yeah. be distraction, could be not. But I like this idea, like I just said with Rhea, of them, they're they they've turned evil and they've got some extra power and they're just better. Like, and you get you, and there's a reason to fear them because oh man, this person just beat Finn Balor. Holy crap, what could Judgment Day really do? And then Finn Balor, as the babyface, has to work underneath and gather the strength together with AJ to overcome them. Like I always love. I always love strong heels. That's what Roman Reigns is, um, as opposed to just DQ interference, blah, blah, blah. It's a little thing. Either way, big fan of what the Judgment Day is doing moving forward. Uh, Definitely good all around on this. Yeah, I think the execution was not perfect, but overall, it was a very, very strong uh, 30 minutes, including all those three segments. Yes. Uh, We'll stay with Raw. Adam Pierce told Asuka, backstage that she deserves the opportunity she's getting. Becky Lynch stepped up saying it makes no sense for Asuka to get a title match. Pierce said, well, that's good. She's not getting a title match. She's getting a championship contenders match. He didn't use that those words. Becky said, it makes no sense that you have to beat the champion to face the champion for the title. You beat the champion to be able to beat the champion. That doesn't make any sense. No shit, Bex. It doesn't make any sense. And thank you, because I guarantee we are going to use that almost every single episode on the soundboard going forward. Thank you very much. Maybe someone will listen. Uh, Lynch and Asuka argued. Asuka said Lynch dropped the title to be a mom, but she doesn't act like a mom. She acts like a baby. And then she started miming, carrying a baby and dancing. She is so freaking great, Asuka. This was obviously good for Asuka being Asuka. Becky calling out the bullshit. 
the backstage segment, this alone, I did love it. Yes, I and I've, I've always appreciated Asuka, even if the English isn't fully there, she's so emotive and there's so much movement yeah. and charismatic that you can get into it without having to focus specifically on the words. And she'll say, you're not a, you're not acting like mom. You're acting like baby. And you're like, Oh, okay. That's funny. Like I, I get it. So it, it definitely works. Um, yeah. Love this. Great. great Even stuff. the way she did it. You're not acting like a mom. You're acting like a baby. Like she said <laughs> something like that. It was just yeah. so freaking funny. Yeah. She has such great comedic timing. And because and, be, and because she's Asuka, she can be funny and scary at the same time. Yes, you, you yes. can still fear her because she has been established for years as a threat. And seeing like Asuka and Becky backstage with Adam Pearce, like that was such a cool sight. Later, we saw Asuka and Bianca Belair and Becky all together. That is like three of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Yes, okay, I know people love stardom, whatever. In America, these are three of the best women's wrestlers. Maybe some would argue the three best. Certain people, mm-hmm. right? So. I mean, that's just so freaking cool to see all of that, Um, which is why I was so disappointed by what followed, which was the main event of the show, Bianca Belair versus Asuka. Yes, in a championship contenders match. She beat the champion to be able to beat the champion. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to play this a lot. I'm just telling you. Uh, Becky was on commentary. This was the first ever match ever between two of the most over women in the entire company, and it wasn't even mentioned that it was their first match. By the time the bell rang, Chris, there was literally, I looked at my clock, four minutes of television time left. It was 10.56 Eastern. We got three minutes of really good action before Becky pulled Bianca's arms out from under her. She was doing the springing handstand, took her outside, threw her into the steps for the disqualification. Then she attacked Asuka and hit the manhandle slam to end the show. My biggest shock of the show is calling a segment with Bianca Belair, who I love, Becky Lynch, who I love, and Asuka, who I love, ugly. Because everything about this was ugly. They completely wasted a first-time Belair-Asuka meeting. There's no reason for Lynch to be involved with Belair at all so soon after WrestleMania. Hopefully they ignore it next week and stick to Lynch and Asuka. But if they do try to do a triple threat, that would be completely unnecessary forced booking so soon, given all of the women on this stacked Raw roster. At least they did the DQ properly so Bianca won and Asuka doesn't deserve a title match. But this was also the third identical blatant disqualification on the same show. 50% of the matches on Raw Monday night were disqualifications or squashes. And Chris, we had gone through a long time on this podcast praising WWE. Yeah, they were doing distractions and roll-ups and stuff, but they were getting away from DQs and matches not starting and all this shit. And it's like they were saving it all up to blast it out this Monday night after Backlash. Any women's match like this is a disappointment going three minutes. But doing it with two of the best women in the company makes it that much worse. So again... This was ugly. It was insulting. It was completely unnecessary given all of the bullshit WWE aired in the final half hour. We're going to talk about all of that for absolutely no reason whatsoever. All it did was eat into this match time. And again, the booking involving Becky with Belair so soon after WrestleMania. Uh uh-uh. uh. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I'm not giving it an point. Zero. Sorry, I was slow on the. Uh, you did those. You did those backwards. Usually we do it the other way around. That's no. It's it, always it, that way. But I. Did, no. I just. 
No, oh, you're Zig, right. It got Zig. No, you're yes. right. You're right. The, so the buttons when I added the when I added the Becky Lynch uh, audio, it pushed down zero point zeros. So I had him out of order. You're right. Okay. I, I messed up and I screwed you up. Go I ahead. wait because I wait for the Ziggler one. That that's the one I wait for. That's um, a bad. I'll take a bad. I'll take a bad grade <laughs> on that one. That's my point. I, I, I'm I'm not giving this an ugly because of what is to come on the show. That truly was ugly. It was more just a really really disappointing bad for all the reasons you just laid out. Like you could have given these to ten plus minutes, really tear it down, and you know I wouldn't have loved the interference, but you would have gotten something out of it. And this is what I said at the beginning of the show with all with the, with the parts not mixing together. You just said half the matches on the show were, were a squash or a DQ. We had two or three of these where it's just a blatant DQ by the heel for no reason. You can't do that three times on a show. That that that's that's the larger problem. I won't fault I won't affect that with this segment. I'll just give it a bad because of what's still to come, but yeah, really, really disappointing. And you knew it was going to be disappointing when you looked at the clock beforehand. I, oh, I did yeah. The same thing. When they made their entrances and there were five yeah. minutes left. You're like, they still have to do two entrances and a match. Like, it was crazy. Um, the reason why I went ugly instead of bad, I just want to clarify for listeners, it's because there was so much bad. The bad yeah. just compounded itself. It, it grew into a pile. And once that pile of shit grows to a certain height, that's when I give it an ugly. You know, uh, something we could add to the soundboard right there is, um, is uh, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park with the giant triceratops poop and he says that's one big pile of shit <laughs> you know what we will add that to the soundboard definitely great call uh let's keep going we'll move over to smackdown momentarily we had new day versus the Eastie boys in a table match uh hey look pat mcafee calls them that i think michael cole <laughs> even called them at once i like it they're the Eastie boys now yeah me too uh xavier woods dodged ridge holland into the steps kofi kingston hit a meteora like splash off the top rope off the ring post i'm sorry not the top rope into Sheamus through the barricade for a really sick spot. Much later, Kofi caught Holland with an SOS. He tried to do the forearm beat on Sheamus's chest, his own move, but he lifted Kingston for a really hardcore Irish curse on the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. Kofi went out and took Sheamus down with a tope style trust fall, then put him onto the announce table with Trouble in Paradise. As Xavier Woods went to go off the top rope through that table, Butch reappeared from under the ring, Woods ate a bro kick, Kingston ate a knee from Butch, and Woods got put through a table in the middle of the ring. Butch immediately attacked twice after the bell. This went nearly 13 minutes. I thought it really over-delivered. They were mostly all great wrestlers in this match. Obviously, Holland is still learning, but the action was fantastic. Bell to bell, really exciting. There was never a down moment. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, obviously a good I didn't find any harm in New Day losing three on two, even though it was expected. But I did downgrade the grade a bit because of the finish. It was very entertaining. Otherwise, it would have been a four-star match. Uh, Butch, you know, having to do the interference made it three seven five. But man, that was a lot of fun on SmackDown. It, it, it was a good match for sure. I, I'll, I'll give this a good. It, it was fun to watch. These guys are all really talented. But man, I'm just I'm very much just sick of these teams together. It's like the, it feels like the same thing every week, whether it's a tag, whether it's a team, whether it's a, a, a butch, it's just like, they don't, they, <laughs> whether don't it's a butch. Do, they don't do anything without each other for months, you know, going back to Biggie getting hurt was when this whole thing started. And it's just nothing. There's nothing new with them. Like, so it, it's good, but you know, as soon as it was done, as soon as it was done, I wasn't like, Oh, I can't wait to see them again. I just, I don't care about it right now. Well, just being candid, I kind of took this to be the end of the feud. 
That's how, I, that's I how it so. read to me. I see. I don't know when when it's when it's the show before a pay per view. You know, I, I I don't know. Like we'll see. I keep thinking things are done on on various shows, and then they're just not. So I'll I'll, I'll know it's done once it's done. I we you know we kept thinking. Obviously, Biggie's not coming back anytime soon, but we wondered if they would do some sort of six man, and if if it's not, if that's it, then great. But we don't actually know it's over yet. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a th- possibility they have something like Ricochet join them, and they do a six man, they get over on them, and then Ricochet and Sheamus feud coming out of that for the title. Like that's a possibility. And if they do something like that, if they're if they're able to add a third and get one six man match in and win, that way the baby faces go over. I'm okay with them doing one more match. But I don't want to see any more like Kofi Kingston, Ridge Holland, Sheamus, Kofi. I don't want to see any more incarnations of it other than a six man, which would be the logical step to have someone come in and step in for Big E. But yeah. Big E's not coming back anytime soon. So it's not even like they could stretch this out another month and get Big E. I mean, Big E's out indefinitely still. So, right. yeah, there's really nowhere to go with this. We'll go back to Raw. Uh, Sonya Deville demanded backstage that Adam Pierce reveal her opponent for the night. She had a match. Pierce kind of skated around the issue. Sonya said, you know what? It doesn't matter because with me, it's not personal. It's just business. So DeVille made her entrance. Pierce came out before the match to tell DeVille the investigation was officially over. She has been terminated as a WWE official because she constantly abused her power, but she is still a WWE superstar. And I do need to say, even though this storyline did go long, Chris, it was a really solid way to take Sonya, who basically lost a loser leaves town match to Mandy Rose because of personal stuff that was happening with that guy who stalked her and I think invaded her home Um, to bring her back in the official capacity. That way they didn't break their, their storyline of her losing being a loser leaves town, basically reinstating herself as a wrestler while in that official capacity and then being terminated as the official, but kept as the wrestler. Like if you go all the way back to that feud with Mandy Rose there's really not a hole in what they did here. And I, you know, it's not often that we're able to give WWE credit for something like this. I give them a lot of credit for tying up all of the loose ends here and giving us Sonya Deville, the wrestler again, and having it make complete logical sense. Made complete sense. I really like Sonya in that role. You know, they, they, they told a really good story for a while. Um, she she was great. She was great in that spot, and she is so much more elevated right now as a character and as a wrestler than when she was during the Mandy Rose feud back in the day. I, I have a question though. I did I miss something? You know, she comes out and Adam Pierce makes this announcement. Was there anything beforehand that sparked it, or was this just the next step in the story? The next step in the story, because last week they kind of had a similar conversation. He's like, you're still under investigation, but I want to see if you can win on your own. Yeah. So it was kind of like they were doing the same thing. It was so, it was just, it was just like, whoa, wait, this is it? Like right now we're doing it now? Like, like she'd been involved in so many good authority feuds. I wanted it to be like her authority is on the line or she's going to screw somebody over really bad. And then Adam Pierce is going to restart the match. Well, they did that. So no, they, they did that. That was part of the story. So they, no, 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 but no, but I mean, and then in that moment is when she gets stripped of it. It was weird for her to come out for a match. And then suddenly she stripped of it right then. And they're like, I I was, I was like, Oh wait, we're doing, I was like, Oh, this is, Oh, we're doing this now. I, I kind of expected a more climactic, you know, moment for it to come. Essentially. I took her, you you know, putting herself in the championship match, restarting it three times as the the climax of the storyline where that's like, here is 
or not not the climax, I'm sorry, the turning point of the story, mm-hmm. where they say, okay, now you're abusing your power. You've always been yeah. abusing it, but now you're abusing it for yourself, not just for Charlotte Flair or for other people. And then we got the two or three week investigation, whatever it is. And she came out knowing she had a match and they gave Pierce that opportunity in front of the crowd, which I also appreciated instead of doing it backstage to say, you're fired, the crowd pops. And not only are you fired, but you didn't let me tell you who your opponent was. Here's your opponent. And your opponent is a returning Alexa Bliss. She comes out to her original music, slightly remixed, looking more like the goddess character. She did have the Lily doll. I presume the doll was with her only to sell merchandise because there were no other fiend elements in her look, in her presentation, or even in the Titantron. It was pure goddess version Alexa Bliss plus Lily doll. Sonya looked shook by the developments. Alexa hit a DDT and twisted Bliss for a squash match win in 30 seconds. Sonya then screamed and cried at ringside, pulling on the apron. A short match like this in any other circumstance, Chris, you know, it would be an immediate ugly from me. But so much of this was positive, from DeVille no longer being an official the way they handled it, to Bliss returning, to Bliss returning without the fiend elements that she had at Elimination Chamber, which we just saw her at. So I'm going to remain positive here with a good, I really wish they had done a follow-up interview with Bliss backstage. Hopefully we get more from both of them next week, but that extra touch of, hey, not only is she back in front of the crowd, let me explain where she's been. I got married. I'm so happy, blah, blah, blah. It would help explain why she's the goddess again. That little extra would have made all the difference, but it was still good. Yes, that that's what I was gonna say. De- de- definitely good. Great to see Alexa Bliss back. We love her. She's she's awesome. Um, but yeah, I kept being like, oh, we, like we, we like Alexa Bliss's character was like all character for like a year plus. Like she'd wrestle, but it was about her promos, about her vignettes. It was about her talking and talking and talking and doing all these things. And so for her to come back, and then we don't get a word out of her was odd. And look, I, I get it's it's largely the Sonya segment. You don't want to do too much in, in one deal. You want the focus to be on Sonya being demoted. I get that. That's like what you said. I'm surprised we didn't get her following up to say, I'm back. I'm the goddess. And you'll hear more from me next week, you know, or, or, or something like that. Just like it was very weird to see an Alexa Bliss segment where she doesn't say anything. And um, that just jumped out. But this is still very much, uh, very much a good. And, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get that explanation probably next week. <sighs> okay, here it goes. Oh boy. Lacey Evans gave her a long, drawn-out, breathless story for the fifth consecutive week. She talked about two family members overdosing and how wrestling helped her put herself and her family first. She rhetorically asked what anyone in the locker room can do to stop her if nothing else has. Again, she only got cheers after the Marine line. This time, she claimed to be a soon-to-be SmackDown Women's Champion and did not give the stupid line that she's been punctuating the whole thing with about, no, I'm not better than anyone else, but no one's better than me. So That's not a added, dumb line. It's a, it's a fine line. It's a baby face line. It, it's a baby face line, which was not included. Instead, I'm going to be the next SmackDown Women's Champion. Remember, this happened before Backlash. So after this ended, an announcer in the ring who I've never seen before, I didn't recognize her, and I quote, said, before we introduce her tonight live, Lacey has asked that you show the proper respect. So ladies and gentlemen, please applaud and welcome Lacey Evans. 
And Chris, I legitimately sat there on my couch stunned. Like I usually have my laptop on and I'm taking notes for this show while I'm watching the shows. I put the laptop down. I wish you guys could have seen my face. It was 100% a face like, did I just fucking hear that right? That is a heel introduction, (laughs) period. Then she comes out in her fatigues with a military themed like entrance track, American flag waving behind her in the background. She starts hugging random people. She runs over to one dude in the crowd, nearly decapitates him with her knee, jumps up onto the barricade and flexes. Now, if this is truly a face gimmick and through five weeks, Chris, of over the top sympathy promos that they've been force feeding me to watch like Clockwork Orange, you'd think it has to be a face gimmick. So if it's truly a face gimmick, this introduction was handled so poorly that it was legitimately stunning to the point that someone, whoever wrote the line or the announcer, if she screwed it up, should actually be dealt with by WWE. That's just straight up incompetence to think that line is appropriate to introduce a face. I literally had to rewind the segment immediately to make sure I heard the announcement correctly. As if the fucking vignettes weren't bad enough, telling a crowd after five weeks of forced sympathy that they should show the proper respect and please applaud and welcome her. I'm just dumbfounded that happened. And no, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. It was shockingly terrible if she's supposed to be a baby face. But even more shockingly terrible would be if WWE actually spent five weeks having Lacey Evans tell this truly heart-wrenching sob story about trauma, deaths, abuse, overdoses, only to bring her back as a fucking heel. It actually sounds impossible to contemplate when you break it down. Because yes, Chris, WWE has been tone deaf to a lot of shit over the years, but nothing to this extent. I cannot get past that heel introduction. There is no other way to explain it. And if you're going to say to me, well, Silver King, that's the entire point. The whole thing was over the top, over the top dramatic, force fed to you. It was ridiculous. It dragged on with Lacey trying to create sympathy and make people like her because she knows people don't like her. And WWE wanted this whole thing to piss off people exactly like you who found all those vignettes annoying. I would tell you, you know what? That's fine if you're talking about doing charity work or loving the fans or being a mom and all that type of stuff. But not when you're sharing heart-wrenching tales about abuse and drug use. That shit is way too serious to be used to swerve people in a storyline and bring a heel back as a heel. It's exploitative. It's just not appropriate to do that. It's completely indefensible. And also, since when is WWE booking to fans like me? They rarely do that as it is. And then Chris, and I know you want to get in and I know you have stuff to say, but there's more, okay? As if all of that was not enough. I swear they're trying to kill me here. WWE airs the fifth vignette again in the final 30 minutes of Raw on Monday. Why did they do that? I have no earthly idea. But when it aired, and I just watched it again before taping this podcast to confirm, they removed the line about her being the next SmackDown Women's Champion and had commentary wax poetic about her afterward. So I'm not suggesting she's necessarily going to Raw 
And there's legitimately no good reason for her to go to Raw, given they already have a stronger women's division and just brought back Asuka and Alexa Bliss. And they already fucking introduced Lacey to the crowd on SmackDown three days earlier. But now they're playing her vignette on Raw for the first time after never doing it before. Something is super fishy about that. The only positive, literally the only positive, was her new entrance theme kind of slaps. It's a massive upgrade. But no matter how you slice it, face with a botched introduction, one of the worst heel swerves in history. It's absolutely atrocious. It's straight up ugly. We're going to find out Friday or next Monday just how ugly it is, whether it's a little bit because of incompetency or because of a truly abhorrent WWE creative decision and or by putting her on Raw instead of SmackDown. But holy shit, was this ugly. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. Market zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Okay, I was, wait, I was waiting for the other 0.0, 0 there. Um, I'm sorry, man. I had to get it out. It was, it was so, killing me. So, like, I, I, I had been a defender of these vignettes when they started. I thought they were surprisingly gut-wrenching and real and honest, and, and Lacey Evans was telling them in a way that felt very real and not like a typical WWE promo. But after about three of them, I said... All right, you gotta like you gotta move forward here. You can't do this so much. So they do five of them. It's right, it was five. That is way too many. You, like you got it at, at that point. It's it's too much trauma. And I know she's been through a shit ton of trauma. That that was very very clear. But pe- people were, I think, generally people were behind her at that point. And so I was like, okay, like they got to debut her. They, they got to bring her back. Like you got to move forward on this. And then I was completely stunned with that entrance, like you said, about the proper respect. I was like, what? What? Like you said, is is this going to be a heel turn? But then she didn't act like it. So I was like, OK, maybe that was maybe that was just an awkward start. And then showing it on Raw, I'm like, uh, OK. So like now I'm at the point where I don't think they have a plan for her. I don't know if they have a plan. Like, like, I, I don't understand how you go through this whole process. And in your look, it, it, it rose every week to the point of, and I'm going to be SmackDown Women's Champion. Like that, that was the point to build eventually to to declare she's going to be the champion. Okay, right. They but hit then, they hit that note. They did hit yes, that note. At the yes, end. they did. Yes, yes. But then suddenly she might be on Raw, or is this just promoting SmackDown? I but she didn't say SmackDown Women's Champion. Now I'm confused as all hell. After look, you 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 didn't like this from the beginning, and other people probably didn't too, and that's fair. I thought they put forth a really good effort to bring Lacey Evans back as a face. And I thought this was just a great way how you do it. Now, I don't know what to think about her or what plans they have about her. I can't believe they've already botched this re-debut upon her literally re-debuting. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to give it an ugly, not for Lacey Evans, but for the complete presentation of it and suddenly everything being extremely strange and up in the air. Based on what you just said, I just want to clarify one thing. I I never disliked it, you know, over the course of the last five weeks because I didn't appreciate the effort. I liked the effort. You didn't like the presentation. That, I liked it. Right. Exactly. I liked that she was telling her real true story. That is really important. Yes. And you could tell that while she was doing it, I'm not saying the um, her emotions the entire time were manufactured, but there were parts of her emotions that were manufactured. The 
<sighs> okay, I, here we go. Think, Every single yes. week. Yes, but I do think some of the tears and stuff, I do think some of that was real because Jesus, well, after going through all that, how could it not? Absolutely. No, no question about it. I am not discounting the emotion. I'm not discounting her story. Any of that. I need to be very super clear on that. But the execution, the way they presented these vignettes did not speak to me. But I'm not going to discount that if they didn't give that line that, entr- you know, uh, please show the proper respect, stand and clap. Yeah. It was like Jeb yeah. exclamation point. Please yeah. clap. Like that's that's what it made me think of, right? If they didn't do that and she just said, ladies and gentlemen, introducing to you for the first time since her last pregnancy, whatever the case, Lacey Evans. And she came out and did exactly what she did. The crowd popped for her. Yep. So yep. I So it worked. Even if I didn't like it, it worked. But I cannot get over what I heard and and the way they presented it with that specific line, WWE scripts their shit. I really don't think that woman messed up. Like, I have to believe that was a scripted line. And if that's a scripted line, it was purposeful and it's a heel line. WWE does know what they're doing in terms of what is heel and what is face. So if that was purposefully done, it's abhorrent. It's, I, I, I'm dumbfounded by it. It's so inappropriate for them to have done this if they are going to bring her back as a heel. Now, look, they didn't have that introduction on Raw. They didn't include the SmackDown line. So maybe their idea is, you know what? We screwed up and people noticed and got really upset by it. Let's make it fresh. Put her on Raw as a baby face. We don't have to worry about it. I don't know what they're planning. This is all speculation. And we've probably talked about it too long. But folks, there are certain things that happen on WWE television where we say it's bad, we say it's ugly, and we're able to move on. I was not able to move on from this. This was legitimately that terrible with the execution and with the potential for what it could mean that I had to get it out because now if you see next Friday or Monday, Lacey Evans show up and you think she's a baby face and she turns heel because she attacks someone after the match or cuts a promo where she gives a line about, you know, yeah, no one really is better than me. I'm the best because I've gone through all this. You guys should bow to me, whatever the case. I want you to have my rant in your head. And I needed to get it out, Chris, because again, I, I was thinking about it Friday. I was thinking about it Sunday. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get past it. Maybe I won't go that crazy on the show. And then they gave me the promo again, Monday night on Raw, and I just couldn't stand it. Yep, that's fair. I don't really have anything else to add, but that that's fair. It was very weird. <laughs> I did not mean to take up all the air here. I really didn't. But like, hopefully, I mean, I feel better. The albatross is off the shoulders. My shoulders are now relaxed. My back isn't hurting. We can go on with the rest of the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's stay with the women. We had Sasha Banks against Shayna Baszler on SmackDown. Naomi was officially diagnosed with a minor rotator cuff strain after Baszler attacked her last week. Sasha uncharacteristically did joint manipulation early. Baszler hit a gut wrench front slam off a distraction. Then she countered a hurricanrana into a side slam. Naomi's distraction led to a sliding dropkick and Banks drilling Baszler's head, uh, sorry, hand, I mean, into the announce table. They botched a lifted knee, but Sasha hit a rolling bulldog on Shayna and a hurricanrana on Natalia outside. Baszler caught Banks coming back in, then put her in a small package with Natalia holding her feet outside the referee's view. For the win in nine minutes and 30 seconds, Naomi then saved Sasha from injury after the end. I had to check to make sure I was seeing it right. They let Shayna Baszler wrestle for longer than three minutes, and actually gave her a win, not a roll-up loss. It was her first singles win in six months since November 2021. That fact, and the fact that also it came to Banks, is kind of mind-numbing. 
WWE has Sasha lose random matches far too often for a star of her level. But this was a solid 3.25 stars B match. It was good. The women got the entire first 30 minutes of SmackDown. This match included, and freaking Shayna Baszler got a win. Really good for her. I hope they have her in mind as an opponent for Ronda Rousey. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I, I'd i love to see that. Look, it's going to, I don't know if they can cut promos on each other. I don't know, but I would love to just see a match between them. It's one we've always wanted to see. So like, just give it to us once at some point. I suspect this is more just tag team stuff. So we'll see. But, um, you know, Sasha loses. That was surprising. But I have appreciated that Sasha seems to be really, really into the tag titles and into teaming with Naomi. She is personally making them feel like a bigger deal than they were before. You know, even with the loss, um, still give segments a good for sure. And I'm I'm curious where it goes. So we'll continue with this team because you get Boston Glow against Nikki Ash and Dewdrop on Raw. Naomi taunted early, so Dewdrop just kind of sat on her. And when I say Naomi taunted, she basically twerked in Dewdrop's face. Uh, Naomi hit a bulldog into the middle turnbuckle, but Dewdrop caught a Sasha Banks crossbody for a slam. Nikki tagged herself in and attacked. They pounced Dewdrop off the ring apron and hit Nikki with rents due for the win in a couple minutes. Dewdrop yelled at Nikki after the bell for uh, telling her to start taking things seriously again and get her head out of the clouds. At first, I was really annoyed they did the whole backstage deal that I praised last week with the heels, only to have Nikki come out in the superhero gimmick. But the post-match revealed that change is still to come. So they are telling this story. Both of them need to change their names. It seems like maybe only Nikki is going to. There was nothing in this that made it bad other than it being short. So I'm actually going to say good here as well, because they used Boss and Glow as a jumping off point to not only create another tag team, but actually get rid of the Nikki Ash gimmick. So to me, that's a huge positive. Yes, I agree. A, a, a low-grade good for one that could potentially be a bigger one down the road. I was concerned as well. as like, first, I, you're right. I was surprised she came out as Nikki Ash like that. Surprised the match played out like it did. And I was like, eh. But then we get the post-match. I'm like, okay, there's, they're, they're letting us know there's more story coming. And whenever you do that, I'm going to be into it. So certainly a good. Uh, we had Mustafa Ali against Champa. As Dewdrop was yelling at Nikki, the Miz's music randomly hit. He mocked Sasha on the ramp doing her entrance move and was announced as a special guest referee from match. I always love when they have the men and women interact and, and they have one entrance interfere with another one. It did seem maybe, by the way, that the show was running long because they did this and they did the um, very short main event match. And those were both in the final 30 minutes of the show. So it did kind of feel like maybe this wasn't initially planned. Champa uh, and Ali, neither of them got their entrances. That's another thing that points to it. Champa, by the way, still hasn't spoken really since being called up. Miz failed to count an inside cradle that would have been a win for Ali. He had a rolling neck breaker. Champa dodged a 540, but got caught with a springboard tornado DDT. Miz again slow counted for a 2.5. That was five seconds. They argued. Champa then hit an inverted DDT, and Miz did a fast count, giving him the win. This was just bad. Not so much the general idea, but the creative and the execution. No one benefited coming out of this. We still have multiple weeks with no explanation of why Champa attacked Ali twice. Is Miz paying him? Is Theory paying him? We thought it might be a Judgment Day alignment, but he's completely divorced from that storyline right now. They're not interacting at all. Ali losing isn't really a big deal given it was cheating, but Champa didn't even get over in his first main roster win, I think, since like he came back in this period of time. The entire thing was just poorly conceptualized. And while we have the likes of Gunther 
and Raquel Rodriguez getting multiple vignettes, video packages, and promos, Champa's just like there. There's no effort or anything to build him, no fanfare, nothing. And this is a guy who's a multi-time NXT champion who should be super duper over with the crowd. So it wasn't ugly. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but this definitely was bad. Definitely a bad. Um, when I first saw Miz come out as a ref for the match, I go, in kayfabe, why would they make Miz a ref? Like he's notoriously a bad guy. And right as I thought that, Byron Saxton, or who was it? It was, might have been Jimmy Smith. I don't remember who it was. One of them, one of my commentary goes, why does Miz get to be a ref? And then someone else on commentary, probably Graves, goes, because he's awesome. And I was like, all right, <laughs> that's not a reason, but they at least acknowledged the question. So I was like, okay, I'll deal with it for now. Um, but overall, yeah, this is what, what I said last week was that it didn't feel like Ali was feuding with Theory. It was more interesting what he was doing with Miz. So now I think he's feuding with Miz is kind of my takeaway from this. Miz is just floating around all these other Ali mini he already beat Ali already beat Miz. Ali already beat Miz, but the Theory stuff didn't go anywhere. And I, I don't know what Miz is just following... Uh, Mustafa Lee around right now and it's 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 weird it's it's kind of interesting this segment was bad for all the reasons you said so, so that was that I wanted to say one other thing about Ali did you see the news segment bit he did on Twitter very very good yes it was the, the, the guy has often for a while now just kind of done his own promos on Twitter to just try to even back in the retribution days to just gin up some interest because he clearly feels creatively hampered. And so he's just trying new things on his own. I don't know what was behind this, but he does a news segment where he talks to people on the street, what they think of uh, Austin theory as us champ. And he's the news guy. He's the questioner. He's all the people on the street. He's an old lady. He's, he's all these things. And it was really funny. Like this, this is such a creative guy that you just like WWE. And this is, you know, this is now this is before, before he requested his release and didn't get it, we said it then. He is such a creative guy that they gotta figure out how to like just use this kind of stuff because it's good. He's they could have really... easily taken they could have taken that, cut it in half, and showed it on Raw. Yeah, and, don't, and, and don't do the Lacey and don't do the Lacey Evans bit or something. I, I don't, don't do the twenty four seven segment that we're going to talk about. Don't yeah, do the Lacey yeah, Evans promo. Like, yeah, this guy, this guy's just he's doing different things. He's doing fresh things. Like lean into letting him do that. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin Owens backstage on Raw was getting a DNA lesson from Chad Gable. He said they took Ezekiel's red cup from the Street Profit segment a couple weeks ago and got it analyzed, and they're going to prove that he is indeed Elias. KO was excited that he'd soon have proof. He told Alpha Academy that his older brother, Ken Owens, from Nova Scotia, was going to take care of Elias anyway tonight. So we had Ken Owens against Ezekiel as a scheduled match. KO came out with a gray wig and introduced himself as Ken. Ezekiel just was like, hey, what's up, and bought into it. He told Ezekiel no one actually believed him and then pulled the crowd. The crowd sold the gaslighting, believing it's Ezekiel. Ezekiel was surprised when KO removed the wig and said he wished Elias was there to sing. That way, Owens could calm down. They brawled. Alpha Academy made the save. Otis hit a splash. And KO ended the entire thing with a stunner on Ezekiel. The Owens and Gable backstage interaction was, again, the best part of this entire thing. They are absolutely money together. I was most pleased that they didn't actually give us a match because that match really should be saved. I think if memory serves, they already fought once and maybe it was a DQ. I don't really remember. 
overall, this was a good way to progress the story and get us to the DNA text next week. I presume they're going to play this out and have a singles match at Hell in a Cell. As long as it ends there, I'm fine with doing it for a couple more weeks. Yeah, look, we've said time and time again, this is sports entertainment and this is good sports entertainment. And yes, coming off of Stone Cold Steve Austin at the main event at WrestleMania, you'd like Kevin Owens to be involved in something bigger. That is 100% true. But that aside, this has been hilarious every single week. The addition of Gable and, and, and Otis has made it even better. You mentioned their chemistry. I, I love it. Gable goes, I have some friends at the DNA lab or something like that. And, and, and KO goes, you have friends at the DNA lab? The DNA lab? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just, he's so, his his comedic timing and his his, his tone is always so good. Ezekiel continues to, to kill it. Ken Owens comes out. And like you said, he goes, I'm Ken Owens. And Ezekiel goes, Hello, Ken. <laughs> just totally. That's what it was. It. it was hello, Ken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he pulls yeah. off the wig and Ezekiel's got the shocked face on. Like, it's just, it's legitimately hilarious. I, again, I don't know what the long-term future of Ezekiel is. This can't be the gimmick forever, but they have really leaned into it to establish Ezekiel as a thing. Like he is Ezekiel, not Eli- Ezekiel Elias's younger brother. Like that is the, the character. People, everybody knows Ezekiel now. They've said his name so many times through this that he is established. So credit to them that I think this worked. Like it, it really did work in terms of what they were trying to do. Uh, and we'll see what the DNA test is. Obviously, we want Kevin Owens doing some more stuff soon. But so far since Mania, this has been really good. Yeah, this is another of those examples where WWE does something where if it was written down, you was, you would roll your eyes and say, oh my God, what a disaster this is going to be. But totally nailing every single part of it. And you got to give them credit. Again, when it's due, this is one of those situations. They are really nailing this. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Gunther against Drew Gulak. They aired a video package of Gulak's failed tryouts before he returned to the ring as a competitor against a mystery opponent who was revealed to be Gunther. Uh, there was a stupid USA chant after the bell. I, I just don't like that. But at least the crowd was reacting to him. And all of his chops and yeah. boots this time also got crowd reactions, which was good. WWE did pipe in light boos on occasion. And Michael Cole tried really hard to put him over. Gunther then won with the powerbomb. This was exactly what it needed to be. The short storyline for Gulak plus Gunther getting a real opponent finally. Both of those are good. Yeah, it, it's a light good. It's better that it's not a jobber. It's better that it's somebody that they built a story around. So when Gunther does this, it means something. I'm not surprised at the USA chance, considering Kaiser, whatever his name is, is now wearing a German flag on his. They have been. He's been doing it since the beginning. Yeah, right. So they've leaned into the nationality part of it a bit. So just just to clarify for anyone who doesn't watch NXT, uh, Ludwig Kaiser, Marcel Bartel and um, Fabian Eichner, who was a part of Imperium. They always had little flags on their stuff. So just so just to make it clear, it's not like a new thing. Yes, but they had, the they, had, they were but they were from different countries too. Like that was part of the the emphasis. Like they it's are not from like, different countries, right? Gunther is not walking around wearing it. He changed gears anyway. It's not like they're, they're clearly emphasizing him as as German. Both of them. So, yeah, they are. Well, no, well, no. Marcel Bartel. Yeah. Marcel Bartel is German. Gunther is Austrian. They, I don't think right. they've ever said he's German. Right, but he doesn't have an Austrian flag. That's why it's... Oh, yeah, well, he I, says he doesn't wear the jacket, so it's just different. I, yeah. it, it's weird. Um, so th- this was a small step forward for, for the reasons I, I, I just laid out. I, I still don't know 
what they're going to do other than him being the big bad monster. He is obviously a much deeper character and wrestler than that. So it's a light good, mostly because it was Gulek instead of somebody else. But Gunther himself advanced in really no such way. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Gunther booking and character, it's really not that different from Walter. It's very much the same. It's like 95% the same. It's really just aesthetic stuff that's different, but mm-hmm. it's not really clicking. And I think this is just one of those weird things in my head. If it was on Raw, I think it would be clicking a lot better than it does on SmackDown. And there'd also be more people for him to beat up. The roster is so thin that he's already gone through the jobbers. I mean, sorry, the uh, local talent. Now he's going through like the jobbers like Gulak. Uh, this guy better win the, the Intercontinental Championship soon. Like, because there's only mm-hmm. so many people left to get to Ricochet. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. I would have no problem with an awesome Gunther Ricochet match uh, and Gunther winning. That would be a perfect person to dethrone Ricochet, who obviously we want to be built up strong and losing to Gunther. There's nothing wrong with that. But anyway, we're going we're going too far. We've had a long enough show. Let's just keep going. A couple more things here really quick before we get out. Uh, VIP Lounge happened on Raw. MVP demanded the fan show respect for Omas and WWE piped in booze. Cedric Alexander came out to put them over, assuming he was part of their success. MVP said, hey, look, I like you, Cedric, uh, but you're not part of us. All of a sudden, Bobby's La- Bobby Lashley's music hit. Lashley straight up murdered three security guards. MVP sent Cedric after him. Lashley tossed him into the barricade. Lashley then clotheslined Omas over the top rope. Cedric saved MVP from a beatdown uh, and jumped off the top rope into the hurt lock as the heels walked away. Given this feud is headed for a rubber match, this was expected. Alexander got more time on the mic than anyone else, and he was pretty funny, uh, so I appreciated that. Later backstage, Lashley challenged Omos to a steel cage match next week. I was just happy that it's going to happen soon, and we're not going to have to do another month of this, but it is strange that they're doing a steel cage match so close to Hell in a Cell, when that is, of course, the superior, more violent structure. I'll actually say good here. It was really a whole lot of nothing, but again, if there's something... If there's not anything that comes out as notably bad, I'm not going to go and say it was bad. So I'm saying it was good. The one question I have is where the hell is Shelton Benjamin in this entire thing? Yeah, I literally wrote down. You, you said it right there. I wrote it down in my notes uh, on this mat on this segment. Nothing. No, nothing really happened. It was fine. Um, it's set up I next like, week's match. That's all. Yeah I, I, yeah, I like you and intrigued and excited that this is maybe going to end sooner than later. You know, like, I think both of their matches at pay-per-views have been fine, but you can only do so much. I don't think this is on Hell in a Cell level, so cage match makes sense. Maybe you don't want to put that on the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view for that reason. Um, So, it's fine. Like, it's another one of those, like, light goods. There's not much more to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Veer Mahan fought Frank Lohman. They did the Byron Saxon pre-match interview with the jobber. He tried to get babyface cheers by saying he was doing it for his family and he had triplets. The guy was basically the same size as Veer, which was nice for a change. He did get a little offense. He also got a he has triplets chant from the crowd, which was pretty cool. Veer crushed his ass with a million dollar arm and cervical clutch for the squash win. The fans were actually into it. This was really the first time that they started buying along with Veer. Maybe this was just a really good crowd on Raw. Um, But there was also, once it ended, no reaction whatsoever after the bell. Veer did stop roaring like a lion, and it was nice to see him go up against a guy that size. Again, he finally got a reaction because they're building up the people he's facing. So I'm, I, I really don't want to, but I'm going to say good here because, again, there was nothing specifically bad about this. It was just nothing. So you can take that as it will. Maybe we should add a category 
like good, fine, bad, and ugly. I don't know, but it wasn't bad, so it was good. I'm I'm kind of giving it a I want to give it a light, light bad. It, it was better than the previous Veer stuff, but it still wasn't good. Like the the whole like the jobber gives a speech like they do that periodically. Like sometimes it's interesting. Some I think they've done it for Gunther once or twice, too. Um, but when you tell the guys like real life story. That all of a sudden, like that, that's wrestling 101. Like you watch you watch matches from the 80s, the squash match, you'll have a jobber who will say something like that. And it's like, oh, there's like I can, can I can make a connection with the person in the ring because they're not coming at me like a cartoon character. They're coming at me like a person who has a family and he wants to take care of his family. Oh no, he lost. I, I, I wanted him to win. Like it's the basic stuff. They should do they should do that with every story. Just give just character work to everybody. But like you said, there was no reaction when he won. Veer continues to do nothing. I, I imagine he's building to some point to have some sort of challenger. But like but like Gunther, like it's just it's nothing right now. So I'm I'm gonna give this one a slight bad. I mean, this one and Gunther, they're so close. They're right on that good bad line. I think I just inch above for Gunther and just below for Veer, and the difference is basically Gulak versus a jobber. And then lastly, we had Reggie backstage on Raw, surprised to get divorce papers from R-Truth on behalf of Dana Brooke, even though last week it was made clear that Dana Brooke wanted a divorce. He tried to serve Akira Tozawa also, but Tozawa knocked the papers out of Truth's hand and ran away. Uh, Dana and Tamina watched the entire thing, and the whole gimmick was he hasn't been served yet, and until he's served, you know, he doesn't have to respond. Uh, It's just so crazy how this thing is awful one week and legitimately funny the next. I praised it last week. I thought R-Truth and Reggie were great. This week, the whole thing was back to being ugly. Honestly, I think I missed the segment. I don't I don't remember this. You're I, better I off not, for it. I did not catch it, so I can't I can't give it any grade, I guess. Apparently I missed it. And that is it from this week in WWE. Now let's talk about what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We originally had planned to do a very special 300th episode for you on Wednesday. A lot of the plans, the things I was working on, it was pie in the sky stuff. Unfortunately, it did not come to fruition. So what we've decided to do is scrap the 300th episode celebration, the special show. And instead, we will do our 300th episode on Thursday. Chris will join me to talk the latest in AEW and NXT. We will debut some new stuff on our soundboard. We will maybe discuss a couple plans I have going forward for the podcast. Hopefully, you guys saw some new promotional material that I recently tweeted on our account, Getting Overcast on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we'll do a 300th show, of course, because it's the next show, but unfortunately, it will not be as special as I hoped it will be. But I will effort to ensure that all of those plans I had still happen. And whatever episode it ends up being, 311, 322, whatever, we will still try to do a very special episode to commemorate the fact that we have crossed the third century mark in the history of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And Vintage Chris Vanini, of course, has been with your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for the vast, vast, vast majority of these shows. So I thank Chris for being with us for so long. I thank him, of course, for being with us today. A reminder to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. A second reminder that here, at Getting Over, this show, episode 299, and every episode of this podcast... Thank you.
So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love the show, why they should subscribe, and why you have listened to us for so long. We appreciate each and every one of you getting overheads, and I cannot wait to be back with you in a couple days on Thursday for episode number 300 of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for listening. That is it for 299. I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.